DealQuest listeners and viewers, I'm so excited to have Tony Grubmeyer on an upcoming episode of DealQuest. Um, Tony, you and I have so much just in alignment in the way we approach life and thinking. I love your content. Um, so uh, talk to us. So, you know, I know we're going to hear some of that. We're going to talk deals. Talk to us a little bit about what people can expect to hear on your episode of DealQuest. Man, I think first and foremost, mastering the inner game is going to help you to make more deals. You're going to learn how to, to broker faster, how to scale. Speed's everything. So if you can understand that when you're trying to make a deal happen, it's about speed and, and having somebody also on your team analyzing all the data that's coming your way so you make the right deal the fastest way possible. So I'm excited to be able to share that and so much more. And I think the most important thing I got to remind anybody watching this right now is that you have something inside of you that's calling you to be bigger and better. And it doesn't mean that it has happened outside of that world. It happens inside of this world. So that's why the inner game is so important. So we can do this and make as many deals happen as fast as possible. I love it, folks. Listen, you know, the thing about Tony is he's got the financial success. He's built a, you know, a major company. But also what I love is that he's gone through his own personal journey in life. Right. And so it's not just the guy who runs a $60 million company or whatever it is. But, you know, he's, he's done that and He's, he, that has brought him to have a commitment to the empowerment of other people. And for me, those are the kind of people that I want, love to learn from. So check out Tony's episode coming up soon on DealQuest. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Let's get started. I am so excited to have Tony Grimeyer on the show this week. He is a husband, father, friend, and serial entrepreneur. His current ventures include co-founding ship offers with his childhood friend, and, and he's also the creator of the Be Fulfilled brand. Uh, the journey to finding fulfillment is often filled with stories of stuff we never thought would happen. You may even uh, feel like giving up, and that's his story until his friend John showed up and saved his life. Uh, once that happened, he knew he had to give back, and one of the companies that he created from these lessons uh, he's discovered over the past 24 years is the owner-operator of the Be Fulfilled Journal. This journal has enabled over 4,200 entrepreneurs to develop a fresh vision for their life and take action right away. He's also the host of the popular Be Fulfilled podcast, The Real Stories Behind Success. And uh, he's been on a quest for the past four seasons to redefine how we determine success. It's the perfect show for anyone on their journey to personal or professional fulfillment, looking for additional motivation on the climb up the success mountain. Tony, welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Listen, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a fan of your content, of your, of your podcast. I think, you know, you bring a lot. I love the, the conversation of, uh, you know, of really what is success and how we define that. And we're going to get into all of that and also um, how all of that or how your life experience also has brought you to do some deals. 
But before we go there, I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. Uh, what did you want to be? Because my guess is, you know, for most people, it's not what they're doing now. But, you know, who knows? You tell me. Great question. Um, fun to revisit childhood. Um, I didn't know what I really wanted to be. You know, I think, a, you know, want to be a police officer, you know, want to be a fireman. You want to be one of those. But somewhere around like 13, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Okay. And I have really set on a path now later in my life, we can talk about it as well, about becoming uh, the architect, along with being an archaeologist in your life. Love it. So one other question, looking back before we talk a little, you know, get get to the, to the current and the future. Um, what was your first deal of any type? It could have been something small when you're a kid or something, you know, early in your career, whatever comes to mind. Oh, I, one of my first things that I ever remember doing, I was 13, 14 baseball cards for me. I was, you know, I'm a kid of the seventies product of the eighties with baseball and sports. Um, I decided to, to run a baseball card, uh, like show right out of my garage. And so I'd hustle, you know, to, to pass out flyers and get people to come. And, and, and I remember that that was early on in my deal of like, if I wanted to make money in my life, no one was going to hand me money. I, I, I had to figure out how to do it. So I figured out how to do that. I ended up selling that kind of like concept and then became something bigger for other people. But I remember early on in my life, wheeling and dealing and try to get 50, 60, you know, kids over to my house on a Saturday to buy baseball cards. You know, I love it. I love I was, it. And I'm curious, where, where, where do you think that came from? Because a lot of people, I was the same way. I, I had a, I had a business where I hired my friends, you know, as let's call them contractors. Cause I wasn't withholding, uh, you know, taxes. Um, when I was 15, you know, making 300 bucks a week in the seventies, which was like stupid money for a 15 year old kid, but neither of my parents were entrepreneurs. And a lot of people ask me like, where did it come from? And I'm like, I, I really don't know. You know, do you have an idea where it came from for you? Yeah. I mean, like one of the most important things that I've kind of worked on is becoming an archaeologist in my life. So I can look back at the questions you're asking me. I've been able to kind of formulate where a lot of this stuff comes from. So if I kind of break down my family on both sides, my mom and my dad, completely different backgrounds come from completely different countries, you know, to get to America, et cetera. Um, they're either engineers or they're artists in some form or fashion. Right. And so I think part of I'm a hybrid. I, I think I'm the first kind of one to realize that you can have a little of both. So back in the, you know, the fifties, um, my grandfather was somebody who created an attachment to the centrifuge and, you know, it's patented and, you know, we went and Google it and you can see it's pretty cool. And then I go, Oh, he created something to collect bull semen. I was like, Oh, great. But that's what, you know, it's like, I get a look and I'm like, all right, that's awesome. And then on the flip side, um, you know, one of my aunts, um, she is somebody who uh, studies everything below the Earth's surface and her husband studies everything above the Earth's surface. Interesting. And then everybody on my dad's side is more or less an artist. And then my grandfather on my uh, mom's side, he was a brain surgeon. And that to me is an artist. That is somebody who sure. can like see something at a different level and be able to perform at the highest level. So for me, I look back and I am a hybrid version of an artist and an engineer. Love it. Love it. And listen, that's self-reflection. Uh, you know, and I think we're, we're going to get into a little bit, maybe why you've done so much self-reflection self, uh, as we get into your story. Um, but before we do that, so uh, tell people, and we, you know, we laid it out a little bit in the bio, but beyond the bio, tell people really, you know, what you're focusing on now, what your commitment is, who you serve. 
Yeah. You know, the, uh, the interesting part about the journey that I've been on is I said, yes, a lot, not knowing why I said, yes, I just said, sure. And I've been doing that since I was, as long as I can remember, I had, you know, I had 14 jobs by the, the time I was 18 to figure out what I did and didn't want to do. And then once I kind of figured that out, I ended up going off to a junior college. Uh, I was going to go play water polo. And one day I walked by a, uh, a radio booth and I walked by a radio booth and I go, I want to go back in. I hadn't been in radio since I was 13 years old. I'm like, can I take this class? And they're like, no, you got to take a prerequisite. I'm like, to talk on the radio? No, let me have a shot. And I remember it was pivotal for me. Cause I said to myself, I can do this. And the guy looked at me, he goes, if I give you a shot, you'll make it. I said, hundred percent. I'm so determined. I'll make it. Um, I had four radio shows at the college radio station. I was the only one to get hired at a rate, a real radio station down the road, making, you know, $7 and 50 cents an hour for pushing buttons for American country countdown. Um, and I remember in that moment, I'm like, see, if I say I can do it, I'll find a way. Because otherwise, I'll find an excuse. And that's the only belief system that I have. And so I was just determined. And so along that path, that led me to eventually being at a radio station in Silicon Valley uh, in the mid 90s. And somebody came to me and said, Hey, do you want to design a website? And I'm like, What the heck is a website? And they're like, Prodigy, Earthlink, AOL, CompuServe, the thing that where you see when you're scrolling, that's a website. I'm like, Sure. I just said yes again, didn't know what I was saying yes to. And I learned how to build websites. And before you know it, uh, my business partner at the time and I were selling websites for, you know, $50,000. And one day somebody was constantly asking me to build them more websites. I said, so what do you do? And they said, you know, um, we run offers on our website and on the engines. Like, you know, at the time it was Alta Vista, Lycos, um, and then there was Yahoo and then this thing called Google was coming and I said, all right, tell me more. And I said, Hey, could you tell me what you do and teach me what you know, and I'll do what I do, but I'm going to give you the secret on how I build websites so fast. And so we swapped information yeah. and then eventually I launched my first, uh, supplement and fulfillment company called Herbal Low. It's still around today. I don't own it. I walked away from it in, uh, 2000. And a couple months later, I launched the company that I currently own, and it started in my garage. It's a fulfillment company. We serve people in the health and wellness business. We have products on demand. We allow marketers a, a way to tap into our catalog of products. Um, they know primarily copywriting. They know how to get traffic. They know how to do the marketing side of things. We provide all the fulfillment stuff. Yes. And so I've been doing that for 20 years. We're an Inc. 5000 company the last seven out of eight years. And I spend all of my time trying to empower the team, the individuals at the VP level to go be the best versions of themselves so they can empower the rest of the team to be the best version of them, themselves. And it just kind of works. And so I have a childhood uh, friend who I grew up with, who was one of the guys that would come to the baseball card store in my garage is my business partner. And, you know, every day I get to live my dream, which is, you know, doing what I love and that is helping people. That's great. That's great stuff. Um, so let's talk a little bit about deals because, um, you know, one of the fundamental premises of the show is that um, there are some very successful entrepreneurs who just grow organically, right? Sales and marketing and providing great products and services. Um, but, you know, if you look at a lot of successful folks, there's also some deal-driven growth in there, and it's an underutilized tool very often uh, for companies. And in fact, um, you know, whether you're growing well, but you want to grow more quickly, or you or you want to grow more strategically, or um, or maybe you're stagnant, you know, or, or or not growing, or struggling to break into a market. 
Um, so how have you used deals? Talk about you know what types of deals and, that you've used over, over time to supplement your organic uh, growth and you know the talents you have in terms of building team and marketing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, a deal that went sideways on me that taught me a valuable lesson. That's one that I use every single day here. What I do was around the the 1999-2000. I ended up into a partnership with one of the founders of Tybo, guy who created uh, BMI Magnets, um, and we were in Reseda, California. There's a great uh, Tom Petty song, um, and we had this really amazing idea and a concept to launch supplements. And from there, we ventured into another business that um, funded kind of this idea in Hollywood. There was always some stuff up till about 13. And then there was a bridge until MTV content was around 16. There was a missing link between like 13 and 16. So we created uh, web episodes that we're going to shove on the internet for kids between 13 and 16. There was just this okay. missing loop. And so I became uh, business partners with Ted Williams, his son, John Henry Williams, um, Richard Dreyfuss, brother. Uh, we had a guy who was in police academy at the time, Brian Tochi, and we created this model behind a 13-year-old CEO who was the engine. We were the rest of the body of this thing. We were on 2020. We, you know, we had 20 to 60 million hits over basically a 24-hour period of time, blew up all of our stuff. Zach Levy, who's in that... Uh, uh, Shazam movie that was out, not the Shaq one, the other one, he was like just a child star in Hollywood coming up. And he was one of our lead characters company was called Goosehead. You know, we were everywhere, you know, the Indianapolis 500, we were there. Um, it was amazing. And I remember we got bids and offers to buy the content and companies like Warner brothers and Sony started coming forward and were basically negotiating to buy us, but there was 10 figureheads. And this is the moral of my story. There was too many people in the deal to make the deal because six people's ego got really big and four people like myself said, I want out. I could see like, sell it and we'll go do the next thing. This isn't everything. This is this, the next thing. And too many egos of the six decided uh, they didn't want to sell. And I, I was a part of what was the dot-com bomb, the big boom. And that really got me teaching myself a couple of valuable lessons. You know, don't go into business with everybody, go into business with one person or two people and be very strategic about the maneuvers that you make um, and be careful um, when you see stuff in your business, slowing you down to, to, to cut some trees down so you can get a better view. So I've used that lesson. I saw some stale growth in our company in my life, uh, 217, 218, saw some things that needed to change, pivot, and then boom, I saw growth happen. You know, we're pushing 60 million this year as a company that started, like I said, in my garage. Um, and in, you know, 2017, we did 12 million. So how do you, how do you scale really, really quick is you, you see some opportunities that are in front of you and you make decisions sometimes. Uh, you have to sacrifice some stuff to get there, but deals are the most important thing that I've seen. Um, we're using deals right now to expand our growth. We're using deals to try to acquire other businesses like in us. So rather than go and put up upfront capital to start from scratch, we get to say, hey, we're going to go buy an existing fulfillment company that already has everything that we need. And we're going to implement our strategy and our structure into the business. And we're going to scale it and grow. Yeah, so I want to I want to get back to some of these future things you're talking about, but before we go there, I want to sort of parse through um, some of those lessons from that you know prior deal, right? You know, you said too many people, too many egos, right? Um, 
And also there was something really interesting because I think it's like in the entrepreneurial press or even in the mainstream press now, you know, you hear the stories you hear about are about the, you know, the, the, the companies that turned down the huge offer and then actually became worth a lot more, right? You know, Google, Amazon, somebody, right, Facebook tried to buy us and we turned it down and, you know, and now we're worth 10 times, 100 times and, you know, and, and those are the ones you hear. Um, and, you know, that happens sometimes. But I have, you know, in, in 35 years of being, working with entrepreneurial and growing companies as a lawyer, as a professional negotiator, everything I do, um, I have seen many times the, you know, it go the other way around. You know, there's a certain time in the market, things are, things are hot, your sector's hot, the market's hot overall, whatever it is, you, you have a certain cachet, you're getting press, you know, and, and there's, there's a certain valuation. And, you know, folks don't don't get out and they don't get out because of ego. They don't get out. I've, I've had people say to me, well, what else am I going to do? I'm like, you're 35, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, even if you're 55, whatever it is. Right. There's a million things you can do. Right. You know, even if you don't want to play golf or, or travel the world, you, right? so you'll start another business. I mean, you know, you really think you're a one hit wonder. I mean, you know, I, my, my experience is people are successful, can be successful again, maybe not at they may not build another unicorn because the, all the circumstances may not be right. But, uh, but in any case, so, um, you know, that's been, that's been my experience is that there's a lot of times where people, you know, don't, don't get out at the right time. And so can you delve a little bit more? I mean, you know, to attribute obviously to particular people, but like, what was the thinking? Was it just, was it that, well, we can make this worth even more, you know, be even more, it wasn't enough money. It was the wrong time. Like what, what prevented folks from seeing the opportunity there? Of course, nobody can predict necessarily the bust, uh, but. Yeah, you know, I love the question, but the thing is, I was just at a lunch not too long ago, sitting with some some friends and they were talking, they're, they're in the, trying to sell their business, right? And I said, so I thought this was like the second or third time you've been through this over the last like 18 months. He's like, we have. And I said, so what's the problem? He says, well, we get so close, but then we want more money because we're doing better. And I'm like, oh, that's the problem. Yeah. I think really a lot of it comes down to you get greedy. Yeah. And I um, personally know that I'm kind of like the guy you mentioned, the 35 year old at the time, like, yeah, I can do it again. I can do it again. I can do it again. Um, I have that mindset because that, that was really instilled in me at an early age that I can figure it out. My son, love my kid. He's, I got two, two boys, love them both. But my 20 year old said something to me, dad, he goes, say yes until it makes sense to say no. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, man, that's good. I'm going to steal that. And, and I really think that's super powerful for, for us is like, you said you wanted to sell and then you got cold feet, which is totally understandable. Um, but the deals so far down the road, that's what really bothered me. And then I had the check at an early age, right? I'm in my mm -hmm. mid to late twenties. I had a check already written out. Like I could see my name on the check. I had done it. And it was like, I was like, Woo, look at me. And then I'm like, I lit it on fire and I'm like, yeah, look at it go. And I reminded myself the fuel that got me into the business was also there to get me into a new business. Yeah. And so that was that deep down in passion. And so to kind of talk about it, I think you have to look at the whole picture. I'm only one person and that's what I made a decision. I'm not going to be in business with, you know, more than what I can count on one hand. Like I just, I can't, man. Um, I love being a 50-50 owner right now. I love that, you know, 50% of the stuff comes out of my mouth, 50% comes out of that mouth. We mesh really, really well together. Um, we're, we don't always see eye to eye, but we know what's best for the company. Um, yeah. 
when there was nine other people, you know, there's also most of them were married. So then there's family members whispering into their ear, friends whispering in their ear, like, keep it, you can make more money. And I'm like, yeah, if we would have kept it, you and I probably wouldn't be talking right now. I'm just using this as my example. Um, because I would probably be in a way different sector than I am currently. And I never would have found fulfillment and I would never have found this. And this brought me to you. So I always say like everything happened for a reason, perfectly lined me up so I can meet you Gore, on my journey in life and get connected through Kara to really bring us together. So I'm yeah. grateful for all the lessons that I've learned to get me here. Yeah, no, I get that. And you, you know, you and I have very common outlook on that. And, uh, you know, and, and, and you're also right. I mean, listen, uh, you know, what happens with more and more people is it becomes exponential because not only do you have family members, whatever, but also you have like just the math on the interactions, right? Like, you know, <laughs> right. That's the way it works because, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard. I mean, you know, listen, it's challenging enough uh, when you have two strong little people, right. To, to do what's best for the company, even when there are times you disagree, you know, when you get, when you get, when you go to two, two to four, it's not, it's, it's more than double because the number of variation of interactions and who, people who have to get along and things that can go wrong, you know, gets exponential. And certainly when you get up to 10, you know, it's kind of crazy, um, which is why the only time I've ever seen that work is when there's not, you know, there might be owners at that level, but there's a governance system involved that doesn't involve 10 people, right? Oh, yeah. I had people in my office Wednesday, we were up on the whiteboard, right? They got a, they got a product that's just about go, going to the market. They're going to crush their market. Like literally the product does not exist and it's phenomenal. I had like several people just come through my office just to take a look at it. They're like, dude, I would buy that right now if that was available. Like definitely something that I need. And so we started going and I said, these are the four things you need to work on. And I said, number one, patent, like go get a patent for your idea. It's too, too valuable not to. Yep. And um, they left and he wrote me a big note. He's like, man, I spent literally two hours with you. But within the first like 30 seconds, you're like, you don't have a patent. You're, you're going to have somebody steal your product. You're going to be made in China. Next thing you know, you're going to be out of business. I said, just because you're first to market doesn't mean someone in market number two, like iPhone comes around and does it completely different. They weren't the one to create the iPhone, like the phone. Yes. They just made something better. There was a Blackberry. If you remember that there was already a Motorola phone. They just made something way better. So remember someone's always in a deal thinking to themselves, fine, you know what? You go do what you got to do. I can make it better. I'll get at it when it's burning and I'll bring it and rescue it. Um, and if you don't mind, Corey, I, this is such a hot topic in my mind right now. I watched this video yesterday um, about the housing market that we're in right now. Sure. And there's a certain company out there that sees all the searches for a certain amount of data and knows all of the home pricing in certain areas. And the video was really, really well done. It was say, let's just say um, all these homes are selling for around, you know, 320, 300. And these company, a company comes in and buys them all at, you know, $300,000, right? So the comps now for that specific area are 300,000. Well, the next one that gets bought is a cash deal for 350. Yep. Okay. So now that company's 31st deal is for cash. Now there's a comp for 350. They flip it, you know, put some patch on it, put some, you know, paint in it and new rugs. And now all of those other, you know, 30 homes at 300, right? Now they made $1.2 million because now they're going to be selling them for over 350 and they know the data. And now they're asking, can we finance you? Can we do the underwriting for you? I mean, whoever has data is the most valuable person. 
I have data today on my industry that I didn't have when I was first on the internet as a fulfillment company. My data is the most valuable thing I've got. So remember that when you're working in deals, look at the data because the key is in the data. That's such a great lesson, Tony. And, and it's interesting. It, it harks me back to the very early days of, an internet, of the internet. I had a client who um, I thought I had a brilliant idea. I was, I was actually in my first year of starting my own firm. I had been, you know, I had left big firm practice. I was 30 years old, started my own law firm, didn't have any clients, was building it from nothing. And I met a guy at a networking thing and he had this business. It was pre-internet. It started. He had this business where uh, it was about data. It was, uh, it was for real estate agents because when people would come in, the, the second most asked question after price was how are the schools, right? Most people who had kids were moving into school, they want to know how the schools are. And there was no good data out there. Again, remember pre-internet. So um, uh, Neil's company uh, was called the School Report back then, a national school reporting service became the School Report. In any case, um, they, they would gather data on all the schools and it would be everything from average SAT scores, percent of kids that go to college to what programs were available, special, you know, ed, sports, art, you name it, right? It had all the, you know, all, everything people wanted to know. And they sold it as a subscription service to the real estate agents. So they would pay for it and the, that would be a value add that the real estate agents could give to the clients to distinguish themselves from other people. And they used to get a fax of the order and snail mail uh, uh, report out, right? <laughs> okay, so, you know, we're dating this, right? But it was an information company for the internet. Now, they, a couple of few years in, um, the internet, right, became commercially, you know, available. And Neil was smart enough to recognize that this was going to become an online play. Um, I won't go through the whole story. We we had done various ways to raise some capital. We had VC money come in. They didn't believe in the internet. We took them out at 10 cents on the dollar. Like it was a whole, it was a whole, whole journey. But I remember saying to Neil at the time, um, because he was, his revenue model was subscriptions from these real estate agents. And I said to him, you know, the subscription, you know, uh, revenue is, is, is nice, but that's not where the value of this company is. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, you're gathering data that nobody else has at a level. I mean, he had gone national, right? Something that he's got at a level that nobody else had. And he ended up getting purchased by one of the online real estate companies, mainly because of the data that, you know, access that, that you know, that he had. And he actually did, did one of these double sales, right? He sold, he, he sold the company once, got cash and equity. And then the and then the, the company got equity in sold again. And he actually got out right before the dot-com bust. So, you know, he he just um, he had a company more recently that he sold a couple of years ago that was profitable from day one, built over 20 years, wonderful profit, whatever. He did not the the, the prior company never made a dime in profit. And he, he sold that prior company pre-internet bust for significantly more than he ever sold. His profit is 20 a profitable company, you know, um, but it was a data play, you know, and that was and that was true early on. And, and now I mean, nowadays it's, you know, it's so much more, you know, it's so much more true. Right. Because of because of the way the Internet's developed. So it's a great tip. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting is like, I, you know, being a fulfillment company, everybody thinks that I'm like borrowing and using your data. I'm like, I don't have time to go mail to your client's data that you allow me to ship to. Right. I said that the thing is, is I have seasonality data. Yes. So I have 20 plus years of knowing seasons. So I'll give you, for instance, you know, back in the day, um, it was 
like virility pills was a product that we created in like the early 2000s. Today it's testosterone. Yes. Well, do you remember in the early 2000s, if you said you had low T, people looked at you weird. Right. If you told people that you took Viagra, oh my God, that is so bad. You can't do that. Like uh, now it's like a common word. It's like, now yeah. it's so generic. They, they can give it out to anybody and all these companies online. So I learned a long time ago that if you just are good at collecting, you can hire a data analyst to come in and re really see things that you can't personally see yourself because you're blind to them because we all have blind spots. So one of the best things, and I was in a tech meeting this morning, I'm like, our tech moves too slow. Tech is key. If we can't move faster, you know, it doesn't matter if we can deploy on AWS. We're, if we can't deploy anywhere else, we're really, we're laying all of our life into one platform. I said, the world is a lot bigger than one platform. So I said, data has to be able to be pushed in multiple areas so we can scale and grow faster, right? There's over what, 7 billion people on planet earth. And, you know, if you look at it, I'm only serving so many. I'm like, so how do I get to go serve more? I need a data. I need somebody to analyze it. I need to tell me where I'm missing right now and where I can scale. Cause my blind spot is simple, right? If I do the same thing every day, I haven't grown. Yeah. But if someone that I hired is sitting next to me looking at the data and when I'm saying, this is what I want, I'm like, well, he's going to say, well, Hey, you're missing this, this, and this. And I'm like, Oh, thank you. And that's, you know, now we're taking stuff that we do on a daily basis and allow an outside pair of eyes to help us to scale. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's such a great point. And, and even on a small level, like I'm amazed at how many businesses don't even do basic analytics, right? I mean, very basic, right? So, so um, I mean, you know, I, and, and I don't know what it was, but for some reason I've always, I mean, lawyers are traditionally horrible at math. They hate financial <laughs> statements. They hate, you know, math. All right. I, I was one of these strange guys that, you know, when they when they saw it on the I remember back when they had the LSATs and they put a mass section on all my other friends would panic. It was my easiest section. It was just natural to me. Right. Like I I could do numbers in my head. Um, so, you know, I remember I was running I was running financial reports and analytics when I had no clients like I was running them before I had data. Right. You know, just because it's like um, and, you know, and, and even I mean, on a tiny level, I remember I don't. I don't do any of this anymore, but when I first thought I was doing some residential real estate closings, right? I was running and, you know, most attorneys out there would charge a flat fee for that and they wouldn't track, you know, how much time it took them because the industry was, it was X for a closing and that's what they charge, whatever. Yeah, I was always running, running, you know, analytics on how much time it took us, how much, what we were effective, uh, effective hourly rate was, how we, whatever, you know, and, and one day I looked and said, this is ridiculous. I'm going to double my price on this or not do it. It doesn't make any sense that the way we do it, because we're not, not going to do it as a, you know, as a commodity, we're going to do it as a customized thing and the right clients will either pay us for that or we, or we won't be in that business. Again, it's, it's a small example. We don't do, you know, residential <laughs> real estate closings, you know, we haven't done it for 20 years, but, but the point is that, that, um, you know, if anybody's listening, who is not running a $60 million company, who doesn't have 20 years of data, there is data, there's analyses, there's, you know, there's, you know, things that you should be looking at, uh, no matter what your business is, that will give you information that will help you make proper business decisions. And so many companies just don't do that, even on the basic level. Well, let's back up 2019, 20, end of 2019. I can't begin to tell you how many businesses I like walk into, like their food. I'm like, hey, how come you don't have any social media presence? And they're like, oh, right. you know, we're too busy. You don't have any time. Okay. Good analogy, bad analogy. Just follow this one. So I said, okay, that's interesting. I said, okay, good. So you got, you know, five likes, six reviews. You're great. 
Um, during the pandemic, you're most likely out of business because you couldn't stay afloat, can't afford the people. The businesses that are most likely really doing amazing things during the pandemic were able to use the data and realize they're now staffing one or two because they can't find workers to basically work in the kitchen and basically go to the, the, the Grubhubs, the DoorDash, the Uber Eats and just drop stuff off. Well, yep. who has data? Uber yes. Eats, DoorDash. Now they can push drive sales. And, you know, it's interesting because if you use like open table or if you use any of these food services, they're collecting a buyer persona about you. Right. And then you go look at the companies who own like open table and you start looking at all the stuff. They have a buyer profile. Guess where they sell that data? They sell it to the credit card companies. And next thing you know, you're getting solicitations because they're, they're bridging the gap. And I'm not, I'm making some claims but I'm using it is that the data is available to be parsed. And if anything is missing in your data, you can hire companies to fill in the void and to get you a full record that you can go mail to market to, and you can really do a great job of hovering over of a specific area and own it. You can flag it. I got buddies who own software that can basically value bomb any neighborhood and specifically say only neighborhoods that have golf courses behind them. They can value add, flyer them, mail to them specifically and say, Hey, have you ever thought about instead of watching people go, how would you like to go play golf? Here's a free pass to go golf. Right? So it's like, there's so many ways to use the data today, but unfortunately the people who did it in a lot of ways are out of business. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. I think, you know, it's funny. You make me think back because I think one of the reasons why I sort of understood that early is my father who's passed away and uh, some years ago, but he, um, uh, he, he moved from being an assistant controller coming out of the finance side, or whatever, at, at, at Hamaker Schlemmer, if anybody remembers them, they're, they're a high-end gadget, you know, kind of cool, like way before Brookstone's all these others, and, you know, they're still oh, yeah. around. But in any case, uh, but he left there. One of the things he did at Hamaker Schlemmer, the many judges he did was he was in charge of their catalogs and, and their list brokering. And he went and, and spent most of his career then at, 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 the list, at a list broker. And what list brokers did was that they figured out who to mail catalogs to, right? They, they did, and this is, again, this is we're starting pre-internet, you know, they, they would gather data on people's buying patterns and, and demographics and who would be best, you know, things. And then they would decide where and who you're mailing catalogs to. I'm talking about physical catalogs. Um, so, you know, that was, you know, in the early days and that business was dependent upon, you know, uh, order rates based upon, you know, what zip codes you sent to, which demographics you sent to, and they would analyze that data. So, you know, I got exposed to that pretty early on. I mean, we would get catalogs uh, come into our home. My, my dad would have like 20 ways he misspelled his name. So he would know which that, that was the, one of the ways, the, uh, you know, the, the um, very um, non-technical ways he, he tested, right, which list was working because he would put his name misspelled on the various lists in the various ways, you know, uh, and, and we would get, you know, 20 of the same catalogs to his misspelled names in our, in our house and he would see how, how it's working. Um, so yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. Um, let's let's switch gears a little bit and go back to something you said earlier because I want to get into that, you know, and and talk a little bit about 
um, some more of the deal aspects before we, uh, we we start to wrap up here. So you talked about, and you know, you made a comment that is very important that, hey, you know, we could, there's some areas in which we're looking to either partner or buy, you know, or, you know, I assume maybe there's some sort of maybe strategic alliance, the joint ventures, I don't know what your structures are, uh, in certain areas where you could potentially develop it internally, right? But you've chosen to, you know, do it through a deal. Can you take us through a little bit, you know, what, what the analysis is there on, uh, you know, because I'm sure when you're evaluating that, you can say, hey, it's going to cost us X dollars to, to buy this, right? It, up front, it's maybe, you know, going to be more money or maybe not. But, you know, but then, of course, we develop ourselves. We got money and we got time, whatever. So what, take us through that analysis in the areas you've chosen, you know, where it's made sense to do it more by deals than trying to build it yourself. I love it. So we're going to just pretend I, I'm in Colorado. I want a place in New York. I don't know much about New York, but I see a business that's for sale in New York. It, it fits kind of my portfolio buy. It tells me, you know, if they got, you know, 20 employees, they spend so much on marketing, they get so many products out every single day. Da, 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 da. The first thing I look at is I don't have to come in and hire talent because I can use existing talent, right? So I don't have to, I can put one of my people or two people on my team in this specific region. And now I can implement them into their culture and see what's working and not working. Right. So that just right off the bat, the easiest thing to do. I'm and also going to be able to, I'm just going to stop you for a moment, Tony, because I want to emphasize that. How many businesses do you hear? Maybe you're one of those people, listeners or viewers that say, I have trouble finding talent. It's a challenge finding talent, right? And the way you're trying to find talent is you're trying to hire them. You're going through recruiters, you do whatever it is. Right. But acquiring talent is one of the big reasons why, you know, people do acquisitions, for example. So I'm sorry, I just wanted to really highlight that. What's next? Okay. So secondly, you know, I don't know, I don't have any relationships. I can call my FedEx rep. I'm keeping in fulfillment. So whatever your industry is, who are your suppliers? Who are your manufacturers? I don't have to go look for all new ones. They've got them. And then I can call on my phone and ask them to put in a good word. And then I want to meet them and I can scale with them. They have resources I don't because I'm back here in Colorado and they're in New York. And so it becomes a resource play, right? And, and you could probably speak about this more than I could, but a lot of the times when you're trying to acquire a business, you look at their revenue and it's basically you found revenue in their business that I would instead have to start from scratch to go and find, right? I'm going to have to come in, buy all new printers, buy new trucks, buy, buy a building, rent a building, sign a new lease go get manufacturing done. Like I have distribution issues. So for me, when I'm looking at, we're doing it right now. So when we are going and doing the acquiring aspect, I'm in saying, all right, I don't have to go spend a quarter of a million dollars where I was going to spend a quarter of a million dollars. And here's what I mentioned earlier. Speed is everything, mm. especially in a pandemic coming out of a pandemic. Right now, the workforce isn't there. So acquiring a company that has an existing workforce and come in and sweeten the pie, keep them around and implement our culture as fast as we possibly can into a business, not, not change it, but make it better. They're going to say, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for you. And uh, there are people in this world who like to work for a company versus run a company. And 90, I'd say 97% of the world uh, works for something and a very small percentage owns something, right? Yeah. So I know that now and I knew that back in the day. So that's one of the things that we're looking at. Um, and I could, I could keep drilling down, but I think the point that once you know, like if you have an oil rig and you had a piece of property that had oil and you were drilling, you would want to figure out how much oil you could drill 
all day, every day. That's what I'm trying to do by acquisitions. Go and acquire. It already works. Why try to come in and start from scratch, figure it all out, spend a lot of money in testing when I can go acquire and test that way. And then where it's not working, I can bring in a specialist. Don't hire somebody right now in this workforce that you have to train to learn what you do, hire the person and maybe a little bit more that already knows what you do and will take you where you've never gone before in that specific niche or market. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. I, I, I want to, well, I'm going to ask you whether there's anything else on the deal front that you want to share. And then I want to, I want to uh, close uh, before we close up, get a little bit more into your personal journey. Uh, but um, is there anything else that comes to mind? Any other deals that you've done looking to do any lessons, uh, any last things you want to see? Yeah, man, hire an expert. I I think a lot of times, you know, YouTube for me has been my expert for so many things in life. You know, I can find a a, a mentor who is no longer around Jim Rohn, you know, he'll teach me more. I I love what he says. You know, I'm an amateur in the Bible, right? I don't have to know it all, but I have to know something. And uh, for me, I'm glad I have like five different coaches in my life. Two of them are business coaches. And so they're, they're going to help me avoid the pitfalls. So Get a guy like Corey in your life, right? Get get a get somebody who's been there and done what you're looking to do. So once again, we talk about speed. It's this magical thing that so many people think, well, I'll just take it slow. And I'm like, well, have you ever seen a train go really, really slow? You sit there and wait a long time. I live out in the country now. I live, I live in a small little town that doesn't have traffic lights, but I have train lights. And man, when a train goes by filled with coal, Yes, they still have cold trains. It is slow. I mean, 25 minutes slow. But when that thing's empty and it's already done its job, it's speeding to try to get home. Speed wins every single time. So go fast, hire an expert, and you'll get there a lot faster. Love it. Love it. So Tony, we in the bio, um, you know, we sort of alluded to it. You alluded to it a little bit. Um, you know, you've, you've come to where you are. I'm not just talking about in terms of the financial success and that kind of stuff, but in terms of like your purpose and your commitment and, and you know, what you're up to through a personal journey of, of some sort. You want to give us um, a little insight into that, you know, uh, people really get, you know, who you are and, and, and why you're committed to what you're committed to now. Absolutely. So I made enough money really fast and I lost enough money really, really fast to realize, shoot, I can do it again because I said I would. Um, but I didn't know how to live life. And so it's really easy. I've been clean and sober just about 13 years. Um, I was suicidal. My life was upside down. I had success, but I modeled myself after my dad and my dad was super successful, made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, made a lot of money and lost a lot of money. And then at the end of the, his life, we awarded him to the state because he had no money and we couldn't spend any more money. And it really taught me that, wow, I need to take better control over my life. And along the ways, Along the the way, a lot of men started seeing what I was posting and asking me, um, hey, could I ask you some questions, right? Find a mentor, find somebody who has the results. And next thing I know, I'm sitting with men almost on a daily basis today, helping men to overcome financial, marriage issues, drug and alcohol related issues, or just life issues. And I have just made it my mission that I'm not here by accident. that somebody like my buddy, John knocked on my door and told me my life had meaning and purpose. I have been on this kind of mission to figure out now I know my meaning and my purpose. How can I help others? And, and I don't like motivation. It's, it's like applying deodorant. You know, I have to do it daily for myself, but if I have to motivate you on a daily basis, 
man, that's going to suck because here's what's going to happen. You're going to forget to do it yourself one day and you stink like, like applying deodorant. So what I've come to learn is you want to find people in your life who are super passionate about the unknown. Um, and, and so being a guy who's gone up and down success mountain a couple different times, I've learned that because of people like Corey, people like my mentor, Sean Stevenson, who passed away a couple of years ago, oh, yeah, sure. um, people who like Vinnie Fisher, people who like Roland Frazier, people like Perry Belcher, people who've done it. There is no perfect person that you and I are going to meet in our life. Yeah. Like I've made a, a ton of mistakes, but I figured out some things along the way. And so my personal life, my professional life really comes down to these two concepts. I have been in the fulfillment business for 25 plus years. So at a professional level, I have fulfillment, but my personal level lacked fulfillment. So I've been on a mission to find fulfillment. That's where be fulfilled came from at the core of every human being. I think we want to be fulfilled at what we do. And so I give everything that I am morning, noon, and night um, to help men who are passionate about changing their life. And I don't allow you to give me lip service. <laughs> I say, Hey, look, I'll know in 30 seconds if you're serious. And they go, what do you mean? I said, I'll know in 30 seconds of talking to you if you're serious or not. And if you're serious, then we'll meet again. If not, Hey man, it was great shaking your hand. Have a good day. Cause I don't have time. I got too many people out there in the world who really want help and they just haven't found it. So I want to go out there and be the bridge, the conduit for what my belief is, is God's working in my life in ways that I never thought were possible. That's how you go from having a suicidal mindset or the disease mindset to what I have today, which is an empowered mindset. I love it. And, you know, one of the things I often say, and I've done all kinds of personal growth, business growth, you know, and I'm also, I have the same, you know, commitments that you do. I express it in different ways, but I've done a lot of work. I've been, I've done men's work. I've captained men's, team, men's teams, that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, just mentored people in general. And, I'm, you know, I'm a big believer, and I think it's consistent with what you're saying that, um, you know, the biggest game in life is building your capacity to receive because all the wisdom and answers are out there, right? It's not like, you know, they're, they're there, right? So, you know, when you talk about only working with people who are, you know, who are really up for it, um, you know, I think um, I agree with that because if somebody is not ready to receive, I don't care what you have to offer them, you know, it's going to be a waste of everybody's time. So, you know, I'm, I constantly work on my capacity to receive, uh, you know, because I, I think that's where the game is played. So um, I love that. That's really, really good. Uh, I was texting with a buddy this morning. He was talking about God. And, you know, I said, hey, you know, I heard this recently and I think it's applicable. Um, and I said, you know, spirituality is for people who've been through hell. Religion is for people who are afraid of hell. <laughs> I hear that. That's great. That's great. Well, Tony, listen, I could talk to you forever, but obviously, uh, you know, we need to bring this to a close. I have two final questions for you. The first one is just uh, what's the best play, place for people to reach you, find out more about you, um, learn about, you know, all the great things you're up to. Well, I appreciate it. And it was an honor to be here. Um, Google is probably your best place. I don't own it, but you can type in my first name and you'll probably hash my, my last name a, a few ways. Um, but it all come up. Tony is the domain that you'll find me from there. You get to what I do at be fulfilled. Also what I do at shipoffers.com. And that's, that's the best way to kind of get a hold of me and, and reach out to me on social media. Cause like I said it here and I'll say it a thousand times more in my lifetime, if I'm lucky enough, uh, I'm here to help those who want help. 
folks definitely definitely check out tony's content and you know he's his commitment it'll it'll make a difference for you trust me i mean i love his stuff um so tony my final question on the podcast is always about my highest value in life which is freedom and for me that means freedom from from oppression for all people in the world uh, to the reason i'm an entrepreneur and i haven't had a boss in 30 something years right and, and and much more um so what does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business wow i uh, love it uh freedom is everything um you know growing up i didn't have parents that told me what to do they encouraged me to check out and figure out what i wanted to do and i did that my wife and i have done that with our two boys giving people the opportunity to choose is something that I know that I, I know that I'm very fortunate and the people around me in my life. And, you know, I'm in America and get the opportunity to have these freedoms. Um, freedom is everything. And I say, if, you know, if you're stuck doing something today that you don't feel like you want to be doing anymore, um, what's stopping you from going and doing what you were created to do it and find freedom in inside if freedom doesn't come from the outside, it comes from being free. Um, so part of the demons that I had to let go of was, you know, drugs and alcohol controlled my life. No, they didn't. My thinking controlled my life. Once I changed my thinking, as Tony Robbins has talked about, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Wayne Dyer, Gandhi, you name it. Once you learn and master the inner game, you are truly free. And so freedom to me is everything. Love it. Love it. Love it. Hey, folks, if you know, master the inner game, you, you, any, any regular or not even such regular listener or, or viewer of this podcast knows that I talk about the inner game all the time. You know, it's, I, I think, again, that's, that's where, that's where the game is played. Um, you know, that's why my authentic negotiating book is all about the inner game, not the outer tactics. Um, so Tony and I are so aligned on so many, so many things. Tony, I so appreciate you being a wonderful guest on the Deal Quest podcast. Thank you, my friend. Nice to see you again. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.